Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. A great king does more than just rule. Being a successful king is about compassion and unity. It's about bringing together disparate groups of people under one banner so that the kingdom can flourish. Denmark had flourished under kings before, but its very first superstar king was often considered Gorm the Old. He and his wife Tira ruled from the village of Yelling for about 20 years between 936 and 958, and they had three sons, Knut, Toki, and Harald. Now, these young men were warriors in the truest sense. Every summer, they would leave Denmark and travel to a new land, which they would pillage and conquer. One night in Dublin, after the Gormsons had spent the day battling, Canute was killed by a vengeful Irish archer. Gorm was heartbroken over his son's death, but it wouldn't be the last in the family. After Gorm's own passing in 958, Harold took his father's place on the throne. And Harold had grand plans for Denmark, too. The theme of his reign was unification, bringing it all together. First, he started by erecting a large runic stone and yelling to honor his late parents. He then ordered the construction of five forts, all shaped like giant rings, in five separate parts of the country. These forts were made to bolster his military presence throughout Denmark, which, of course, they did. Then he brought his growing army to Normandy, where he fought alongside his ally Richard the Fearless. Later, he and his nephew Harold Greycloak killed Norway's King Haakon I. Greycloak was then named the vassal king of Norway, but his reign was cut short in 970 when he was assassinated by the former king's son, because life has a way of evening things out sometimes, doesn't it? So Harold Gormanson himself stepped in as the acting king, and if you're keeping track, he now had control of both Denmark and Norway. He would eventually add Normandy, northern Poland, areas of northeastern Germany, and even parts of Sweden, all of it unified as one kingdom under Harald. While he waged his wars overseas, the interior of his kingdom was peaceful. However, he didn't resign himself to uniting countries only through force. He also broke away from his Norse roots and converted to Christianity sometime in the 960s. The hope was to spread it across Denmark and Norway. Now, the stories surrounding his conversion differ depending on who you read. A contemporary of Harold wrote that a cleric named Papa turned him on to this new religion, and in order to prove his faith, Harold had to carry a heavy hot iron without it burning him. Another author named Adam of Bremen wrote his own take of Harold's conversion about 100 years after the king's death. According to Adam's account, the king had lost a major battle against Holy Roman Emperor Otto I, who had forced him to convert to Christianity. Whatever the case, Harold lost much of his army after his defeat by Otto I. The power shift caused Norway to rebel against him and drive him out. Harold managed to keep control of northeastern Germany for a short while, but the clock was ticking. You see, his son, Svein Forkbeard, had grown tired of waiting around for his father to die. He turned on Harold and took up arms against his father. And the uprising worked, too. Harold Gormson died fighting to defend his throne in 986, making his son the new king of Denmark. But Harold's story doesn't end there. 
A little-known fact about the former king was that he had a bit of a sweet tooth, and his treat of choice? Blueberries. A thousand years later, his reputation for uniting Denmark under one kingdom, as well as his taste for the little blue fruit, inspired an engineer by the name of Jim Kardak. In 1997, Kardak was working for Intel on a project that would allow computers and mobile phones to talk to each other. In a sense, it was a way to unite everything under one ruler. The project has grown over the past few decades, and now is found everywhere. In fact, every mobile phone, tablet, computer, and wireless headset we use today is evidence of Harold's legacy. A legacy built right into the logo for the technology itself, which is a combination of the two runes for his initials, H and B. Understandably, Kardak didn't want to call his new wireless technology Gormson. Instead, he used the nickname that Harold was better known by, thanks to his love for blueberries. So the next time you click on your headphones and pair them to your mobile device, spare a thought for the man that technology is named after. Harold Bluetooth. Daredevils make their living by cheating death. Whether they're walking a tightrope between two skyscrapers or jumping a motorcycle over the Grand Canyon, these stunt performers never fail to disappoint. Well, usually. Born in 1858 in Cornwall, England, Bobby aspired to that sort of greatness. He had always wanted to do something fantastic with his life, something that would leave his mark on the world. He'd gotten his start as a performer in the Barnum and Bailey Circus before eventually striking out on his own. Bobby wanted to become the first person to complete the Triple Challenge at Niagara Falls. This included three events, going through the rapids in a barrel and ending at the Whirlpool, then taking that barrel over the falls to the bottom, until finally jumping off the upper steel arch bridge with a parachute on their back. Bobby accomplished his first task by parachuting off the bridge on July 1st of 1908. Two years later, he arrived at Niagara Falls with the barrel, which he attempted to ride through the rapids. The jagged rocks in the water, however, severed the rope that connected him to the anchor that he needed to guide the barrel through the water. Without that anchor, Bobby was tossed around the rapids and had to be rescued by a fellow daredevil, William Red Hill, who pulled the unconscious body from the barrel and then climbed in and rode it to the whirlpool himself. But Bobby wasn't discouraged. He managed to successfully ride the river to the whirlpool rapids three more times during the summer of 1910. But it was the final act of his triple challenge that he looked forward to the most. You see, Bobby had heard about American schoolteacher Annie Taylor and her trip over the Niagara Falls in a barrel in 1901, and he'd been inspired to do the same. Although he could no longer claim to be the first person to go over the falls, he would make it his mission to become the first man to do so. In July of 1911, he did just that. Except instead of using a standard wooden barrel as Taylor had done, Bobby had constructed one out of metal. Around 3 o'clock on the afternoon of July 25th, Bobby crawled into the two-and-a-half-meter-long tube and then launched himself over the falls. Upon reaching the bottom, the tube was pulled out by Fred Bender, an employee of the Ontario Power Company. He swam out to Bobby, tied a rope around the barrel, and then pulled it to shore where he opened it to find Bobby shaken and battered, but alive. 
Like Annie Taylor, Bobby had survived the drop, but not without a few scars to show for it. He ended up being hospitalized for a whole six months with two broken kneecaps, a broken jaw, and a bunch of other minor injuries. The consequences, though, were worth it. After recovery, Bobby used his experiences to travel the country on a speaking tour. He talked to audiences about his time with the circus, his feats at the falls, and he always brought along his metal barrel for photo ops. Over the next decade, Bobby found work running a pool hall in Niagara, but he still dreamt of his earlier fame. In his 60s at that point, he tried to swim across the falls on multiple occasions, but its rough waters proved too hazardous to cross. He had to be saved more than once, and after several attempts, he just sort of gave up. With his pride shattered and the restlessness growing inside him, Bobby went back on the road. This time, he traveled overseas to New Zealand, where he picked up his lecture tour once more. And it was there that Bobby met his unfortunate end. He performed one final drop, which resulted in a broken leg. Shortly after, the fracture became infected, and then it turned gangrenous. Doctors attempted to amputate, but by the time they had reached the infection, it had spread too far throughout his body. The elderly Bobby Leach passed away from complications on April 26th of 1926. But oddly enough, it wasn't a new stunt that had killed him. No, he hadn't gone over another waterfall in his metal barrel. He hadn't tried to swim across raging rapids, either. Bobby had slipped on an orange peel that someone had carelessly tossed on the ground. A tragic, senseless accident, indeed. And you'll have to forgive me for saying... But while Bobby might have been someone to look up to, it's fair to say that he himself should have been doing a lot more looking down. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works, I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.